Welcome to Rise from the Ashes. Our podcast looks at various issues for families. We'll be talking with attorneys about personal and legal concerns having to do with divorce, custody, and parenting time. There are also a few topics about letting go, moving on, and new beginnings. Please keep in mind this podcast is only to inform and help to understand legal and personal issues as they relate to family law. It should not be considered as a replacement for a qualified family law attorney. When in doubt, please contact a professional. Rise from the ashes, focusing on matters of the family, because family matters. Hi, and welcome to our podcast, Rise from the Ashes. I'm David Braddock, your host for the podcast. We're talking with Amy Rotering, who is a partner now at Mundal Law. Congratulations, by the way, Amy. Thank you, David. Our topic for today, I know we had a working title. It was something about, it doesn't mean that you can't just because you didn't say I do. That is right, David. What exactly is that supposed to mean? I know we're doing something on estate planning today. Yes. And someone didn't say I do. I'm guessing they never said I do at the marriage altar. That's correct, David. We are going to be talking about single parents today who have never been married. Single parents who had never been married and those who want to start an estate plan, I take it. Yes. This is a group of people who mean a lot to me because I grew up in a single parent home and I raised my daughter as a single parent. So I understand what that dynamic is and what the concerns are when it comes to estate planning that married couples don't necessarily have to address. So we have an estate plan that we want to develop for someone that's never been married. What is the difference between someone that is divorced and I assume would have children and someone who never was married and has children? What is that difference? Well, the big difference, David, is that when two parents are married to each other, there's a legal presumption that both of the parents are the children's biological parents and that there's a presumption of joint custody. Even after they divorce, that might change. But for the most part, there's a familiarity between the parents and the children so that if something happens to one of the parents, that the other parent can come in and take care of the children full time. With parents who aren't married, there's a different dynamic because there's a wider range of circumstances that could be in place. It could be that the two parents really didn't know each other very well when their child was born, and maybe there isn't a relationship between the two parents. It could also be that the other parent isn't really involved in the child's life. And so the concern becomes, well, if the parent who's taking care of the child dies, the law is very strong in Minnesota that the child should live with the other parent except under limited circumstances. And so the child runs a risk of being placed in the care of someone they don't know. So if there's an estate plan, then those concerns could be covered under the legal document of whatever it is, the will or the trust. Correct. So today we're going to focus on the will and a couple of other documents. Okay. Well, let's start with that will. What do we need to do with that with our single parent? Okay, David. Well, no matter who you are, the will is the document that determines who is going to take care of a child when the parent dies. That's where the parent designates a guardian for their children. In the case of a single parent, one of the most common 
concerns that I hear from single parents is I don't want my ex to have custody of the children. And that's for a variety of reasons. It could be because they don't get along or it could be something as serious as they've never been in this child's life or they're incarcerated or, you know, any number of reasons. And so that has to be addressed in the will because otherwise the state is going to decide who takes care of the child. That being said, David, another dynamic that's involved is whether or not the other parent, and in this case, I'm talking about the fathers. So in Minnesota, the mother is presumed to be the sole parent of a child unless a father comes forward and starts an action in court. Once that action has happened, the father has just as many rights as the mother does. So those single parents who have that custody decided, it's going to be really tough for them to choose someone other than the father, because if they do, the father can come to court and fight it. What I tell moms in that situation, I tell them about what the law says, but I say, if you have really strong feelings about why you don't want him to be the children's guardian, to write that into the will. And so I go through that with them. And sometimes I've even written a separate affidavit that they sign and we attach it to the will. So at least if it does go to court after they die, that the judge will understand what mom was trying to convey. So they have something to look at. It doesn't necessarily mean it will work 100% of the time, but it certainly is better than not saying anything. Right, because then you're at the discretion of the judge and whatever they would decide. At least this way you're saying that he will know what mom's intentions were with respect to the other parent. Exactly. The judge will have some idea, and it might be enough to give the judge pause to not just automatically give custody to the other parent. They might say, well, wait a minute. This is something we need to explore further, which, of course, is at the minimum what mom would want and is certainly in the best interest of the child to take some time to consider before just handing the child over to someone who the child potentially doesn't know or have a relationship with. Okay, we've discussed the will and how that should be directed with respect to the other parent and the court. You mentioned a couple of other documents. What would those be? That's right, David. So the will addresses what happens once a parent passes away. The other two documents address what happens while a parent is still alive, but for some reason they might not be able to take care of their child. And so they need to designate someone else to do that temporarily while the parent is either away or incapacitated. And the first document I want to talk about is the delegation of parental authority. In the legal world, we call it a DOPA. The parent can sign that document and assign certain rights to a third party, such as the right to pick up medication for a child or a right to choose a school for a child, things like that. But it's temporary. It's only good for one year. And the other parent has to be served with a copy of that DOPA as long as there's parenting time with the other parent because they have to be made aware of it. Examples of situations in which someone would use a DOPA, if a parent travels a lot for work, for example, and they can't be around their child while they're traveling, of course. Or if a parent is going to have surgery, then they can assign some of those rights to a child while they're recovering. That third party can take care of the child. It's usually a grandparent or other relative, someone that the parent obviously is going to trust. That sounds like a very necessary document with respect to the children. It certainly is, David. And it's not something that a lot of people know about. And so it's something that I am sure to bring up with any potential client who walks into Mundell Law. 
It sounds like it goes along the lines of making sure that all your T's are crossed and I's dotted. And if you're missing that one, that could be quite a loss. Yeah, it really could. Because then the child could be in a situation where, again, somebody else is making that choice of who's going to take care of them. And it might not be the best person for that child. Then you mentioned there would be another document that could be contained in this special estate plan. This document is similar to the DOPA. It is called a Designation of Temporary Custodian. So there's some similarities to the DOPA. What it does, again, is it designates a third party to temporarily take care of a child in case the parent is unable to do that. But the difference between this designation and the other document is that, first of all, it doesn't take effect until some kind of triggering event happens and the parent designates what that event is. So in a lot of cases, it's if the parent becomes incapacitated or unconscious. So like if they're in a car accident, they can also designate if they pass away. So this one is kind of a hybrid between life and passing away. What the document does is it says, if one of those triggering events happens to me, this third party has temporary custody of my child for up to 60 days, which gives that third party time to decide what's going to happen if the parent doesn't recover or if they've passed. It gives that third party enough time to start a probate process for guardianship if the parent has passed or to start some other kind of permanent arrangement for the child. It provides some breathing room, that 60-day period. It's a more serious document than a DOPA, and I know I've talked about this on other podcasts, so if I'm repeating myself, I apologize, but I think it's important enough that it bears repeating. It's more serious in the way that the other parent has to be served with this document, and they have to be okay with it. And if they're not, then court action would be required to actually enforce this document. And I think for that reason, a lot of people shy away from a designation of temporary custodian because nobody wants to go to court. But it's really, really important to have it. It sounds like it's the bridge between whatever that event is and making sure that that child is well attended to during that transitional period. Having those documents in place gives those parents such peace of mind because they know no matter what happens, everything's taken care of and those arrangements have been made. Are there any other special considerations for our unmarried parent and their estate plan? Yes, David. I would be remiss if I didn't mention that it's important for everyone, and especially single parents, to have a power of attorney and a healthcare directive as part of their estate plan. That should actually be part of every estate plan. And just to review, a financial power of attorney enables another adult to have control of someone's finances if that person can't handle their finances themselves. And the healthcare directive does the same thing for medical decisions. Putting all of those documents together in one estate plan, this is kind of a scenario of how those documents would work. So something happens to parent A. I'll just say something happens to mom. She gets in a car accident. She has all of these documents in place. She goes to the hospital. What I encourage all of my clients to do is give a copy of your healthcare directive to your healthcare provider. So if someone goes to the hospital, they're going to pull that up on their screen and say, oh, look, mom has a healthcare directive. And oh, here's her agent. Let's give her agent a call. So then her healthcare agent comes and now her healthcare agent can make decisions for her. When you say agent, you mean this person that's on the power of attorney? Yes, the person who's on the health care directive. In a lot of situations, the same person is on the health care directive and the power of attorney. 
So that person can now make medical decisions and financial decisions for mom to keep her bills paid and pay her mortgage and her rent, especially if we don't know how long mom's going to be in the hospital. If it's a very serious accident, she might be there for a while. Then that designation of standby custodian might kick into place if that's one of the triggering events that mom picked. Again, typically, those two documents I talked about, the DOPA and that designation, usually it's the same third party that's acting on behalf of taking care of the kids. Is it sometimes the same person as the power of attorney and the healthcare directive as well? Sometimes it is. Sometimes people like to separate, you know, kind of a separation of power. They don't want the person taking care of the child to have control of the money. It really depends on the individual situation. And that's why when I sit down with a potential client or a client, we really get into in-depth discussion about that. That's a really important part of the estate plan. But you can see how all of these documents are working together in harmony. And then, God forbid, if something happens to mom, then that will is in place and that designation is in place for up to 60 days to give the named guardian in the will time to go to court and get at least a temporary order to let them be guardians of the child. That's a really important part because once a parent passes, that DOPA is no longer any good then the probate court comes into the situation. So that's the goal of all of those documents, not just to take care of a parent's health and their finances, but to take care of their kids. When it's just you, if you're the only parent taking care of this child, it's really, really vital that you have someone that you can trust in place to take care of your kids. So that's why this subject is so important to me. I guess things will go much better starting from the will to these designations, making sure that all the other estate planning documents are in place, the power of attorney, the healthcare directive, things could really tend to flow if all those documents were in place. That's right, David. I mean, contrast that situation to someone who's in the hospital and they have no estate plan in place at all. And believe me, we get plenty of phone calls from people where that happens and they have no idea what to do. They don't know who to call. The doctor won't talk to them because there's no health care directive in place. That peace of mind is just vital. For an estate plan that covers all of those bases. It sounds like that's quite a contrast. It really is, David. It makes a big difference. It really does. It's, it's more than just putting together some pieces of paper. It's really making sure that it works in harmony the way that it's supposed to. Anything else you want to say about our estate plan for an unmarried parent? All I would say is, David, get her done. I would just highly recommend if anyone listening has any additional questions or concerns that they reach out and contact an experienced estate planning attorney and get their questions answered. It's worth the time to do it. Thank you so much, Amy. Thank you, David. Great to talk with you as always. You are listening to Rise from the Ashes, the podcast channel that takes a careful look at all things having to do with legal procedure within the family law process. Rise from the Ashes is sponsored by Mundal Law, who specializes in assisting families and individuals through the legal process with respect, dignity, and caring. Mundal Law is dedicated to helping people to solve their legal problems. You can visit the Mundall Law website at mundalllaw.com or call to schedule a consultation with one of their qualified family law attorneys. Rise from the ashes, focusing on matters of the family, because family matters.